Hello and welcome to the Sea of Startups, where we dive into the stories behind the startups in Southeast Asia. I'm your host, Kevin Brocklin, Managing Partner of Indelible Ventures. Now, if you're a founder or funder looking to learn more about what drives the startups in Southeast Asia, this podcast is for you. We're about to sit down with founders to uncover the unique insights into the origins and motivations behind launching their startups. We'll uncover the stories behind the struggles, the ups, the downs guided from the view of an entrepreneur. So without any further ado, let's jump into today's show. All right. My guest today is Henry Tai, the founder of BigDomain.my. For those of you who don't know, Big Domain is a domain registrar that also provides web hosting, web design, SEO services, and several other related services to help you launch and run a business. Thank you very much for being here with me today, Henry. Hey, Kevin. Uh, nice to be on the show. Perfect. So everybody knows that my starting point when I have these conversations is always to go back to the founding story, the origin story. So tell me, how did you start off on the entrepreneurial journey and how did you land with launching Big Domain? Well, um, that actually, our story actually go back to the year of uh, 2010, 2011, when we still have this uh, very concept of a startup in Malaysia. You know, so during that time, I, I, I was still working with this uh, one of these uh, MNC, uh, multinationals company that, uh, 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 in data center as well as uh, you know, computing. So we were kind of having a lot of uh, customer in the data center space, right? So we were selling, uh, uh, this uh, server to them during that point of time. So I having this idea about you know. We are selling so much of network equipment server to this company that is doing hosting, right? And how do they actually make money out of it? And how, you know, so start, as being a data center uh, consultant, so I'm having this uh, curiosity of how the entire thing put together. I was just, uh, then one day I just decided, you know, probably I'll go into this on a part-time basis, right? So I actually entered that industry uh, during my free time. So, you know, we are exploring. I, it took me a year to exploring from service provider to service provider as, you know, you know uh, like many uh, of the founder, I started all because of my passion towards something, right? That uh, not started as something uh, aimed to make money, but something just to, you know, satisfy my curiosity. In, in the cloud, you know, many may find weird that I actually spend my weekend time, my free time into tech and domain, right? So, you know, after a while that I actually uh, uh, grew my freelance company, right? So in just a short uh, couple of years from 2011 to 2016, we actually grew to about seven full-time and a part-time, which the CEO is actually the part-time. Right. <laughs> so that come to a point that when we realize uh, we have to make a decision and uh, to do something else. So at that particular junction, we actually uh, uh, came across one 
uh, Malaysia listed company that you know favored with all these uh, 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 Malaysia uh, fast food brand, right? So actually, in uh, uh, invite they are keen in invite uh, investing into us, but uh, during that time, I'm just a founder that you know out of curiosity and uh, and grew grew the company in into a certain size. I do not have any idea about fundraising. I do not have any idea about tech startups and so on. So we are basically growing the company, uh, following the the route of like you know SME that grow big, big, big and bigger. So we 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 started make money the moment the first order come in, and we keep growing like you know in the few first few years we are growing like five fifty to hundred percent year on year, right? Until you know my family start complaining. Hey, I you know I have a I have a main jobs. I have a new entrepreneur jobs. Then, at that particular junction, I actually decided to, you know, uh, join uh, you know one of the Malaysia's uh, uh, biggest cloud provider and subsequently uh, acquired my previous business uh, as a whole. That actually gave way to, uh, you know, uh, after spending a year with them, that actually give give me another chance to start a big domain. Okay. So you had, you had started up, you got acquired. So after getting acquired, you spent a little bit of time and then you, you decided to launch again, go on, go on that entrepreneurial journey a second time. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, uh, uh, Kevin, believe it or not, you know, uh, being a, an entrepreneur is actually a very addictive, you know, you, 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 you being an entrepreneur one day, Right? Do you agree or not? Being an entrepreneur one day, you can't stop, continue to be another one. Yeah, yeah. There's a certain personality type that thrives in kind of the chaotic nature of the very early days. And once, yeah. and even like you know, for the for the for the founders that have grown past that, there's always that kind of itch of wanting to go back to those really early days. Some some people are just kind of wired that way. Yeah. Yep. Correct. Okay, so then, so you go on to this pathway the second time around, and launching big domain. What what was the logic there? I mean, you were within the space to begin with, but what was the what was the impetus that said, okay, here's the idea that I'm going to run with the second time around? Yeah, so this is where it become interesting, right? Uh, during the first part of my entrepreneur journey, where uh, I was still having a full time job, you know, I was merely testing my idea around to see whether it works or not, because I don't have a, a financial burden that I need to worry or worry so much. You know, I can feel free just to expand my idea into domain name, into hosting. You know, we also capture, you know, during that time we were, we are so innovative at, and, and, and get questioned by the industry because we are the first company to launch by domain free hosting. Right, mm-hmm. and usually that is the other way around, where you buy hosting and free domain name. So we have we are among the Asian uh, cheapest uh, provider to innovate, right? So I kind of like uh, something that uh, Air Asia is doing. Everyone can can fly to us if everyone can have a website. So that's why we give away all these until we captured quite uh, quite a number of attention during my first part. But we don't have so much an idea about you know, what kind of IP that we want to build. Because end of the day, uh, a hosting industry in Malaysia, you are a, uh, you are similar to a commodity traders. You buy te- you buy and sell technologies that is 
uh, you know, there's no, there's a very little barrier of entry. So any high school student or university student can start a hosting company operations, right? So uh, during my first part, when, when I sold my company, so I was trying to find a direction, right? So uh, when I started Big Domain, right, it became clear to me that, that the directions that we want to go is to make technologies simpler for the business to adopt. Okay, imagine in the SaaS world, software as a service, there's so many tools, technologies that actually come out. We have so many tools in virtual meetings, we have so many tools in productivity, we have so many tools in you know, the lately. Cybersecurity has become a focus among startups, corporations, due to there's so many incidents of threat available. But you know, the businesses, they're having a hard time choosing the right solution. So, you know, corporations, they have a standard practice, but not with the SME. So, you know, during the first part of the uh, big domain, what we wanted to achieve, you know, we started the entire domain name business because this is something that I very familiar with. And I know my competition don't like me in this area. <laughs> so we actually started, started the entire bread and butter and we actually profitable in day one. And this is also the same pitch that to my investor as well, because this is a, uh, a, a, a good business, right? It's a good service industry to go in, but it's not something that we look forward in a much longer term because with the hosting business that I'm trying to build, I'm actually trying to build the gig economy sector, right? As early as, uh, you know, uh, 2017, that is before, you know, most of everyone in Malaysia heard about gig economy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me let me ask you a question on on that on that one point because you 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 mentioned uh, the your 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 view on the hosting side of it. Are you do you have your own infrastructure, or are you repackaging out like other cloud service providers, or how was it in those in those early days? Okay, so we actually practice uh, uh, BYOC, bring your own cloud, mm-hmm. right? So. Uh, we, we are actually quite flexible because, you know, being somebody that dealing with hundreds or thousands of hardware, data center, server, hardware equipment. So that is something that we decided during big domains time, we are not going to deal with all the hardware, data center and stuff. We will just uh, deal, you know, help our customer to do the management in terms of their software, their security, their management stack, right? So... Uh, in our belief that, you know, whenever customer, they wanted to, to, to do something, right. They may or may not have the expertise of doing this all by themselves. They don't have an in-house person. They may have a developer with them, but they don't have an operation person, a data center operation person with them, right. Mm-hmm. To manage all the optimization, security, backup, and so on. So we decided you know, to launch something on, on the BYOC uh, area where our customer can choose to use the cloud that we are managing with our hyperscaler friend, right? So we do have uh, 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 some partnerships going on with our a lot of our hyperscaler. So whereby we will buy all these uh, uh, data center resources as a bulk, we will repackage it into something that business can use in day one with a few clicks, like less than 10 minutes, and they can start using it without worrying up so much about security management, setting up, and all these complex matter. And if the customer have a choice to bring in their own data center uh, uh, 
of their of their preference, right? If let's say they want to bring in Azure, Ali Cloud, Huawei Cloud, yeah, what kind of you know cloud that they want, we will help them to secure and back up the workload. Like we, at least we are their in-house uh, uh, resources, then they can have a piece of mind managing the their resources without the needs of learning all this uh, you know, technology and skill, dealing with them on the technology basis. You know, ultimately, we just have one goal, uh, Kevin. We want to make the technology that's so simple that you know everybody can use it, you know, easily, and they keep on focused on their business rather than have to worry so much about the tech and backend. Yeah, a lot, a lot of the infrastructure side of of a website is beyond the technical capabilities of of a lot of people. There's plenty of tools nowadays in regards to how to fill out the content, how to plug and play these different things. But that back end infrastructure is is still a little bit of a gap. Yeah, yeah, correct. So it's actually re- require a lot of skill and exposure. And uh, to our experience, that is, you know, imagine you are hiring a a freelance developer or you know somebody in-house your your development team if you ask them to manage a server right they have this phobia about you know how to back it up how to optimize it right mm-hmm. what are the things they need to take note because they are not from the industry they don't have any idea that in case the server got hacked right how to do protection how to uh, uh, how to restore your data mm-hmm. they may not you know, in today's environment, they mean uh, there is a lo- a big chunk of website that do not have a backup strategy in place. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, so it's like many of the company that uh, SME that are trying to uh, launch their sites. You know, as long as it works, and and, and they just pray that it it don't get any issue. So praying is not our thing. So we actually give a clear solutions to our customers that you can have peace of mind when you do this, what A, B, C, D, right? So they can actually subscribe the entire solutions from us. They just, you know, tell us that what they want. If they want email, they want to get their website up, you know, whether they have their web developers or not, right? The rest will help them to give them the end-to-end solution. Mm-hmm. And what's what's the level of automation that you've been able to incorporate into this, or or is do you have a large team of tech support in order to be able to handle these sort of backend infrastructure uh, components? Yeah, so we 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 have both, right? So uh, we have a pre-designed packages that are ready to deploy the moment the customer make order. So uh, customers then can get their service when they come to our our cloud uh, our, our 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 billing system. So the moment they make order, they can, uh, uh, you know, get on board to our 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 cloud. You know, as soon as in in minutes with their domain names and and hosting, and subsequently, you know, we will have a conversation with our customer that what other expectation do you do you need from this? And we are either point our customers to the solutions that they can do. Now we can at the same time to help them if they need to, needed with a small cost. And, you know, the most innovation stuff that we are doing right now, we can even send somebody to to become the customer's in-house resources, right? Either mm-hmm. part-time or full-time, remotely or in their office to assist them with all kinds of digital transformation needs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Yeah. 
So, so you know, in in the process of launching this at the very beginning days, because so, I, I kind of want to get a feel for how you go from day zero to day one and then to where you are currently. So what's what's that first step in order to get the ability in order to do uh, the domain registration? And then how did you end up building out the rest of these components? Did you already have the relationships for the web hosting? Did you, where did it begin? What was day zero like? Mm, that, that we have to go through, that's two part of my journey. So that, you know, the, a lot of information that I, I have in big domain actually started during the time during the much earlier time before I sold my first company, uh, which mm -hmm. is uh, Domain Plus, right? That 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 company. So we, I, I have zero idea how the clouds work, how you know GoDaddy, how the cloud players that actually works. I have no relationship with domain name registrar. I mm -hmm. I may own a few domain names. That's all. Right. <laughs> so uh, during that time. Uh, I'm doing a little bit freelance, helping some friends to register some domain name, right? And what what I did is I actually took one year to do research R&D, you know, getting this hosting from this company, you know, getting a resellership from a company B, C, D, and subsequently it took me a year to, to be successful launch the services. So I'm neither in good design, I'm, uh, you know, I it had been years before, uh, that I, I I started coding right, mm -hmm. so I I code when I'm I was sixteen, but I stopped coding when I was twenty one. <laughs> so we are using a you know imagine my first website that I launched for my first company. We actually uh, I designed it using PowerPoint. The website and, in PowerPoint. Yeah, you know I actually use the PowerPoint to do the layout and and save everything in HTML and 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 launch it right. So it's is you know it's not appealing and why why we but while we are working it right in I'm 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 still working uh with my day my full-time company that time uh the, one of the one of the one of the day in the afternoon I actually got an alert we have our first ever orders to keep in okay through through our website and subsequently we actually has more orders growing and growing uh throughout the years uh, with that, we actually had our first re uh, few relationship. We actually captured the attention of the re domain name registrar because domain name registrar, they actually look at the volumes. They don't mm -hmm. look at 1, 2, 10, 15, right? So during that time, at uh, using PowerPoints, the website done by PowerPoint, we actually can secure about 100 domain name a month, which higher than what there is a lot of uh, local web designer and, and hosting companies, right? So... With that, we start launching our hosting services, our web design services, with more team members actually joining in. While I'm still managing the company in a in a in a part-time basis, we have our full-time customer service, web designer. Uh, we have two corporate sales that running to provide services to companies. Right. We have listed company customer, we have government mm -hmm. customer. So all these customers come in uh, uh, until at a time that we realize. You know, during the early stage, like many of the founders that is not embracing the startup uh, framework, the I handle everything myself. That's mm -hmm. the pro and con. So uh, I'm trying to learn uh, startup from my good friend Curry Koo. You know, he keep he he was the advocate of uh, startups. He he keep on 
educating people, you know, about startup. During that time, I really have no idea how significant is different between SME and startup. So yeah, okay. I, in in SME, in how I manage SME, I I was the head of the company and I do everything myself. I micromanage everything. I don't have co-founders, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, you know, the investors that actually came in that asked me, hey, I can only see you as the asset of the company, right? It become a risk for mm-hmm. any of the investor to really want to invest. Very true. Very true. Too much key man yeah. risk. You know, you 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 get uh, in a car accident or something, and next thing you know, the company is down. Yeah. So you know, the entire company operations depends on one you know one person to to make to make a daily decision. Then I you know I started to think about what should I do next to you know start learning actively about uh founder uh you know founder institute is 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 something I joined then. Uh, after I sold my company, I mm-hmm. immediately I joined Father Institute while I'm working full time with the crowd company as one of their uh, senior manager. So uh, I start to learn, you know, pitching, doing my deck, PowerPoint, do my one minute pitch, do market validations. Yeah. Right. So imagine after I sold my company, I, I start to learn all this. <laughs> a lot, a lot of it. I mean, you can you can you can build a business and you can you can sell that business, but there there's there's kind of a recipe uh, that comes out of a program like that. That there's a lot there's a lot of education that even 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 if you've had some success in the past, you may still not have you know that level of efficiencies. Yep, exactly. You know you know one of the downside on the company that I sold. You know what I feel. I failed to realize the valuation of the company. Mm. I actually sold it very cheap. Okay. Okay. I actually sold it very cheap under valuation. But uh, knowing that I can start back the similar company uh, very fast because I already have the success story, right? Mm. Uh, With a good track record. So I actually uh, came back and start big domain. Mm -hmm. And big domain, I, you know, I start to have one clear idea. I still start big domain all by myself, uh, Kevin. Yeah. Uh, all by myself and I run the company for almost two years without any co-founder because mm-hmm. uh, I, was, I wasn't I was able to find a co-founder then. So my plan is I'm trying to hire or recruit a co-founder when I'm profitable. Yeah, yeah, which is not easy. Uh, not to easy. Do. I mean, you, you you said you were making money on, on, on day one, but even still finding a co-founder in general before or after or whatever sort of point, it's not easy. It's a, it's a yeah. long-term relationship. You really got to find somebody that kind of gels with you, yeah? Yeah. To share your synergies, you share your vision, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, 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 it's more difficult to, 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 to com- you know, compare to even finding a, a, a girlfriend or a wife, right? Mm-hmm. Because this person works with you. You tend to have a lot of argument, disagreement. You yeah. can't find a co-founder that do say yes to everything that you say. Yeah, yeah, it's no point then. You need yeah. you need somebody that brings a different skill set and a different perspective, and conflict is going to be inevitable. But it's a matter of how you actually manage that, and can you can you do it in a way that is constructive? And yeah. the same way that marriages and girlfriends have a failure rate, co-founders have failure rates too. Yeah. So so after after you know a, a two or three years, I finally found a, a new co-founder. I'm trying 
to 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 basically uh, join us to to start our initiative that I can have someone to trust, you know, mm-hmm. working in a startup environment together with me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but before we we I find found my co-founder. So I basically, uh, because of the passion, how we wanted things to move, we you know because of the track record, we actually managed to 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 find some angels, uh, angel investors that actually trust us. And they, they 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 actually invested in us in in the early early stage for the last few years. Okay, okay. Let, let, let me let me jump back a, li- a little bit. So I mean, mm-hmm. so you went you went through kind of a pre a pre seed accelerator in in founder institute. How yeah. how was that? And you you had noted that you know you had already sold the company. You were already a successful entrepreneur with an exit, even though you believe you sold it at uh, a too low valuation what was the experience of going through a program like that? Because that one in particular is known for being pretty intense and the pass rates are pretty low. What was your experience in going through it? I know you said that you learned a lot of new information, but how was it to keep pace with a fast program like that? It's not easy, uh, Kevin. To, you know, with somebody who sold a company before and who who run a company uh, full-time while working for another company, I thought... I tell myself, I thought I am tough, <laughs> but it seems that the program is tougher. <laughs> I actually gave up during the first cohort. Yeah. Halfway because of the, you know, being a founder and an entrepreneur, sometimes you will have some kind of arrogant yourself, right? You mm. know, arrogant and confident yourself. And after you're hearing uh, criticism from other mentor and entrepreneur, sometimes you will just give up, right? I actually uh, uh, withdraw from Founder Institute in the first cohort, mm-hmm. but I immediately found out that, you know, somehow realized that I have to go through that. I actually graduated the, uh, immediately joined back the second cohort and graduated during the second time. Okay, so you just need a little bit more, more, more time. You came back in it. You knew, you knew what was going on, and you came in with kind of a renewed set of energy and and pushed yep. through, past, graduated, launched the company, etc. Yeah. Yep. So I, I, I means that this is exactly uh, what a founder should do during the 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 startup journey, right, uh, Kevin? We will face a lot of criticism from our investor, from our customer, from you know our business partner, everyone, your family member, mm-hmm. they tend to disagree to everything that you do until you're successful. <laughs> and you, you know, giving up is something that keeps driving you. You know, should mm-hmm. I give up? Should I, you know, go back to be, being a full-time uh, uh, multinationals, uh, 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 some working for some multinationals company or not, right? So you, you tend to have this, but you push through your challenges right being in business being in funding right being in uh a lot of area you know sometimes you may not push through most of the time so you take a short break and you keep coming back mm-hmm. right so i think that uh being tough on the founder institute program is actually designed to help uh the founder you know keep a strong strong mindset in order to push through their startup journey. I think that is very important. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, being a startup founder is incredibly hard. And I think one of the one of the main points that comes out of programs like that is to demonstrate how challenging it is. And you really need to be able to keep pace. Um, and so it's 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 all it's it's fantastic that you were able to kind of take the take those hits, but then keep on persevering through making it through and taking those lessons. And I, I assume those lessons are surviving with you today to where you kind of are still applying some of the things that you've learned in the past. Exactly. So, uh, you know, I, so one of the things that uh, I, uh, I still do today is to connect with all the startup community, founders for founders, founder with founders initiative, Right, mm-hmm. we we think that programs like Founder Institute will definitely help because, uh, it's like you going to the gym, mm-hmm. right? Is it easier, uh, to go with the gym yourself, or is is much more motivating when you are you are you are doing, uh, all these, uh, startup initiative together with other founders together? You keep motivating each other and you keep pushing each everybody too. So, uh, I. And very active in the startup uh, ecosystem ever since, and supporting a lot of startup initiative, both mm-hmm. by the local government agency, local startup founder. You know, while I'm myself is pushing through my own startup journey, so I think uh, the kind of uh, sharing with uh, the startup ecosystems, right? Uh, we have to really support each other, right? Mm-hmm. Create a community to be successful. Yeah, I, I I definitely agree. It, it it really takes a community in order to build a, a thriving ecosystem. I mean, obviously, the more uh, digital businesses that come up, the more folks that are needing websites and and domains, etc. So there's 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 obviously a, a need for you to help stimulate that. But I love the fact that you're trying to take some of the lessons that you've learned and impart those into the community of the young up and comers as well, so that. That's the big thing on community is to learn the lessons of the past so that you can you can kind of leapfrog over those uh, and improve your odds. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, uh, uh, big domain right now. So we are working not only to, uh, you know, during the pandemic time, uh, what we have done is we are working very closely with the startups community. We're also helping a lot of SME to go through the effects of pandemics together because, you know, uh, business are tough. It's still tough today, mm-hmm. and it'll be tougher to the, the rest of the year, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know what we do it differently compared to other company is we continue to listen and work closely uh, mm-hmm. to 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 what is going on in the market right now. Continue to pivot ourselves as if you know being a startup is different compared to an SME is because we uh, do our uh, we run our business like day one, mm-hmm. every day in our business. So we continue to innovate. We continue to drive uh, changes to to our environment. So that mm-hmm. is something that a lot of founder is not able to 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 accept. And how how do you view the changes in the market? I mean, you referred earlier that the mm. that the domain registration is is fairly commoditized. You've taken a little bit of a tactic with it, but when you look forward at the rest of the components of your of your business and some of the products and and the innovations that you're doing, whether it's on the hosting, the web design, or some of these additional components, 
What's your view on the outlook and where do you think that you'll be focusing the majority of your attention in the coming year? Um, we are focusing a lot of innovation, right? So uh, it's like you're buying a house. So uh, buying a domain name and, and a hosting is like you're buying an empty land or a building, right? So you mm-hmm. get the customer to date themselves. We no longer ask the questions, you know, whether you want to rent a shop or you want to get a hosting or not. So this is not... Uh, something that we are focused right now because end of the day, uh, customers' data they just want to ensure that they can host it into some some place that is reliable. They don't mm-hmm. care who is the service provider, right? But of course, you know the service provider have to provide a kind of reliability and 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 branding. Now we start to ask people, what do they want to do on the cloud? How can mm-hmm. cloud can help them? Their ultimate outcome. So we become an outcome-focused company mm-hmm. rather than a community to say, hey, uh, Kevin, we sell domain name. Do you want it? We have a hosting that costs a few hundred a year or some hosting that costs a few hundred a month. So this is some uh, business practice is still focused. So we actually focus on solutions like we help the customer in successfully, you know, get their first sales online, how to do that when they don't even have an in-house IT Right. So we do an end-to-end solutions, right? So we even, you know, to some businesses that they are not really uh, uh, online friendly, right? So mm-hmm. they're still managing the business on a traditional way. We even send people right now to, you know, their premises to educate and handhold them to the entire digital transformation journey. So they, they will go online one way or the other. Mm-hmm. So compared to the hyperscaler that actually uh, coming through Malaysia, right? We see them as a value rather than a threat to the local hosting provider, because we go beyond selling CPUs or RAM, right? Mm-hmm. So we actually looking at customers' objective and how we can help them to uh, run their business more efficiently, you know, expand their business to more location. And at the same time, this year, our primary focus is in cybersecurity to keep everybody running a safe business environment. Okay. And how, how do you view on, on some of these components, the, the question of build versus buy, build versus repackage, these, these sort of questions when you look at some of it. So, you know, with, with certain types of solutions, there's some competitors out in the space how do you end up deciding whether or not to build your own solution? Let's take cybersecurity for an example. There's a there's a handful of folks out there that have these sort of plug and play solutions. We don't need to get into the quality yeah. component of it, yeah. but they, they exist. When you look at an area like that, and I'm just using this as an example, how do you decide on whether or not you're going to build your own solution, you're going to buy a solution, or you'll simply repackage and resell an existing solution? Yeah, so, um, you know, in a lot of these uh, areas that most of the time we are not uh, a technology provider or a technology producer on, mm-hmm. on, on, on the segment because, uh, it, you know, in my understanding that we don't have to reinvent the wheel all by mm-hmm. ourselves. So if we see that there is a good solution, we simply work on a relationship with them to provide these solutions to our customer. And mm-hmm. end of the day, uh when we decide and recommend all these solutions to our customer, we will be a primary user ourselves. 
I mean, back to your earlier questions, right? Why we are launching gig economy is because we are the uh, 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 big fans of uh, gig economy of freelancer user during the first part, you know, for big part of the our journey, right? So we ourselves, we have to be, become the user ourselves and be successful in order to recommend to, 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 to our client. Like for example, uh, you know, over the past five years, we actually spent hiring, uh, spent over 1 million ringgit hiring freelancer. Mm-hmm. And comparatively, we are, you know, that is a significant amount for, for the company at, at our size, right? So we, we actually accumulated a lot of experience in that area. So likewise with cybersecurity as well. So we are working with a lot of international partners or even hyperscaler to see whether the solution is fit for ourselves. So, but the solutions will not fit to every businesses. So end of the day, we will still need to do uh, and, uh, you know, some analysis to our customer's environment and subsequently, you know, do fine tune the solution so that it can, it can, it can, it can, uh, you know, measure to, to our, a customer. If let's say you're looking at the SaaS landscape, mm-hmm. the software as a service landscape, there's already a crowded space for all these stuff, SaaS uh, provider, right? So there's almost everything for 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 everything right now. You know, there's always a company for something that you want to do online. Being uh uh if. If we are talking about, you know, lately there has been a trend to talk about ChatGPT, mm. uh, the the AI uh, that's going to go dominant the world, that kind of thing. You're looking at digital marketing too, customer service too, chatbot tools, uh, web development too, drawing too. There's a lot of SaaS tools that are actually being generated within the last one month and mm-hmm. just to fulfill the business need. And it, it, it kind of creating a kind of, confusion uh, towards the business user. Hey, there's so many tools out there. What, what should I be using? Mm, okay. Right. Okay. So our value is we shortlist the kind of SaaS tool mm. uh, in our database, right? And we are building a marketplace whereby, you know, the customer can subscribe the tool themselves or we give them the recommendation through uh, based on the customer's environment. And what we wanted ultimately, right, is to automate this uh, in the customer purchasing decisions uh, to automate the, uh, based on the customer input to automate the, uh, this solution automation to them. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. Okay. No, that, that that makes that makes sense. There are, there are a lot of players out there, so there's so there's no need to reinvent the wheel. But the the layer of value really comes down to the curation of a marketplace, so that an individual who may not necessarily have the highest level of tech sophistication can more easily encounter and utilize the tools that are specific to their use case. Yeah. Yep. Correct. Okay. Okay. Interesting. I guess one one more question before before we move toward towards wrapping up. When you when you look at your business, um, you know, a large component of it is international by nature. When we think of websites, you know, there's they're not they're not necessarily geographically bound, other than some of the extensions uh, being country specific. How do you view uh, your developments internationally, and do you have any particular targets in regards to wanting to grow your footprint? Definitely. For now, uh, for the last five years, we have we are we are focusing uh, growing our footprint in Malaysia. But because of this uh, 
borderless kind of business we are running. We have a lot of customers coming from all the other, uh, you know, every every part of the world, right? Uh, first of all, uh, we are proud to say that we having the most competitive price point being in Malaysia. I think I see Malaysia as an advantage because of the currency that we have right now compared to the other country. We have the uh, cost advantages for the service and solutions that actually develop in Malaysia, right? And of course, uh, the kind of, uh, we actually in plan to launch our solutions to uh, other neighboring country with the higher uh, national uh, footprint, like for mm -hmm. instances, Indonesia, right? Uh, uh, where there are more people that uh, will require this kind of services and even to other countries like Singapore or Europe, where we have the currency advantage in terms of uh, lower lower price point. Sure. So we are building our capability in terms of uh, uh, language support. If to deal with countries like Indonesia, you really mm. need to change the kind of uh, uh, communications and culture. How you know we you need some local to support local. Yeah, you need you need an Indonesian speaker in Indonesia in order to be able to support them, and the same applies to whichever country. Uh, with the exception, perhaps, of some of the larger English speaking, you can there's there's plenty good English speakers in Malaysia that you can leverage. Uh, yeah. But when it comes to other national languages, absolutely. Yeah. So we we actually uh, trying to uh, increase our footprint through uh, through multiple collaboration with our our business partner as well. So a lot mm -hmm. of them they already have a, a a good footprint in the overseas. So the, our, our, our aim is to automate all these solutions and subsequently build uh, an automated marketplace to evaluate the solutions in the market based on the crowd feedback and subsequently recommend to the business and give them a way uh, or, or a existing uh, deployment template that they can deploy this faster. Okay. I think the learning curve of all this technology will remain a bottleneck of uh, adopt adoptions of any technology. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Awesome. I I, I love it. I love I love the evolution uh, towards higher value add services. The aspect of automation, all with the intention of simplifying the ability for people to op to 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 launch and operate websites. Let me wrap up here with the standard closing questions that I ask every guest that I've had on here. And the first one is, what is a tech tool that you just cannot live without? The tech tool hmm. that I, for now, wow, that there's a lot of tech tools that I realize on, on a daily basis, right? But uh, the tech tools that, I would say uh, and recommend to all the startup and business, right? It's a secure communication tool because end of the day, uh, when you're talking, you know, use any reliable tools that will not cause any security issue for you or your customer. Mm. Because scammers is all around when you're running business, especially remotely, right? Or your employee is working remotely. You need to have a secure communication tool, but. Uh, this is something that not every company they pay attention to, mm. right? So you can have Zoom as your uh, secure communication tool, uh, get a good service provider in email so that you can trust every email that comes in to you is a genuine purpose, right? Yeah. Because we we, we have a lot of uh, good people, knowledgeable people in the company, but mm. you can't just make sure that everyone is as good as you, right? So 
Yeah, and phishing scams yeah, on email link. are so sophisticated right now. Uh, my my spam filter on my own email account is oftentimes working in overdrive. <laughs> yeah, so so we, while we're trying to get everybody into digital trans, uh, you know, going into this digital transformation journey, and if we we can, uh, we we won't be successful if we can't trust our communication. So I think the communication tool is something that I'll prioritize and recommend to all the all the founder. Okay, perfect, perfect. Yeah. Last question here. So if you were to talk to another founder that's just getting started out, what would be your biggest piece of advice for them? Well, so I'll, I'll ask them, do you, are you willing to take, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, work hard for it, right? Because it's going to be a lot of challenges and a lot of criticism, from your friend, for your family member. So, you know, if let's say you want an easy life, okay, you know, uh, better go and work for some someone rather than, you know, being a founder will never be easy until, you know, the last day of you being being a founder. I hope, assuming that last day as a founder is a, is a, is a big sale. Maybe you, <laughs> yeah, big sales of the founder. Yeah, exactly. And, and I'll also ask, you know, most important here is all the things that you wanted to do as a founder, uh, make sure it's related to your passion. Mm. I, I know Kevin for you yourself, right? You, you have a passion of helping other founders, right? But if money making is your only sole objective, you won't last until today right yeah, because i yeah. know your life is also not not easy like like any other founder as well right so this is your passion yeah if money making was the was the sole goal i could have probably chosen a different uh segment of finance in, in order to get into but i i really enjoy as you said getting getting rolling up the sleeves and helping out yeah, yeah. so 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 being a founder you you uh besides you're able to work hard you you have to make sure that what you're uh, uh, in you know you go where you're going through is you know is your passion. Yeah, that's 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 fantastic advice. It's it's a tough journey, and you really need to have the passion and understand yeah. what you're getting into. It's not for everyone. Henry, I really want to give you a big thanks. I appreciate you coming on. This was a this is where it was a really informative conversation. And I love that closing advice. Thank you, uh, Kevin. Thanks for inviting. All right, that wraps it up for another fantastic episode of The Sea of Startups. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend, go on to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. It's the best way for us to get discovered and to have these startup stories reach a broader audience. If you have any suggestions or would like to get in touch, you can email me at kevin at indelible.vc. As always, I'm your host, Kevin Brocklin from Indelible Ventures, and this is The Sea of Startups.